morning. That's really where they want to go. On 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm a Democrat. A liberal voice on a conservative talk show. What's the worst that could happen? It's Debate with the Democrat, featuring proud card-carrying Democrat Jeff Smith on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Jeff Smith, welcome back to the show. I hear the constant complaining that uh, I don't tell you in advance what we're going to discuss. <laughs> Usually because I'm trying to decide at the last minute what we should discuss. I've got one today. I think it's more discussion than debate. People seem to forget that Missouri could still end up electing a Democrat. We've had one just as recently as a couple of years ago. So, Jeff, we've got competitive Democratic primaries for Senate and governor. Two-part question. One, Break these break Wait. these primaries down, and two, do the Democrats have a chance of winning a statewide race in Missouri? Oh wow, um, yeah, I definitely am on the spot today. Um, this so, is right. This is like softballs right in your wheelhouse. I'm sure everybody's <laughs> hired you to run their statewide campaigns. As I think you you well know, at this point, I do more Republican candidate consulting than Democratic. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I'm like, you know, the backdoor man, you know, nobody would ever put me on their report. Um, so look, honestly, it's a real uphill battle for any Democrat to win a statewide race at this point. And the main reason why is because for a long time, and let me just kind of back up and if you don't mind, do like a little context and overview before we talk about these races in particular. Is I that would okay? expect no less. Okay. So it used to be there was like a such thing as a Missouri Democrat. And, you know, if you look at like the 1992 elections, we had an entire ticket, you know, with Mel Carnahan as governor from Birch. No, well, Carnahan was from Phelps County, right, from Rolla, and uh, was famously derided by St. Louis Mayor Vince Schaefer in that primary as a redneck from Rolla. Um, we had Lieutenant Governor Roger Wilson, a good old boy if there ever was one, incredible retail politician uh, from Boone County in mid-Missouri. We had Bob Olden, who was elected state treasurer that year, from Birch Tree, a tiny town uh, in, in southeast Missouri. And that was indicative of the type of folks that Democrats were nominating uh, to be our statewide candidates, mostly rural folks that were very moderate and we did well in general elections because Missouri has always been a pretty moderate state, not too extreme. Um, but something happened in 1991, I believe that began to change all that. Do you know the seminal, uh, the inflection point that I'm kind of referring to what happened that year, Elijah? I, I, I don't know which one you're talking about. That was before that. That was before the Bill Webster race. Um, so no, you're, you're, you, you, you're before me. That was when we passed term limits. Ah, interesting. And, and passing term limits really changed, led to a massive change in the composition of the state legislature. Because before term limits, Democrats were electing good old boys all across South Central, Southeast, uh, Mid-Missouri, Northeast Missouri. You had these places where the Democratic Party had 
deep, deep ancestral roots. Places, you know, whether it was the Boot Heel or whether you're talking about Little Dixie in Northeast Missouri, where we can, the been Demo- can the Demo- Democrats still say Dixie? I didn't know if that was okay. I'm just going to self-cancel right now. Thanks for flagging <laughs> that. Um, so look, like when we had, you know, those places, when, when we had uh, state legislators who were representing those places, we still, you know, we dominated the courthouses. And that really was an art. Of, it was a benefit of the Civil War because the people who lived in those places were um, descendants of people who had come out from Virginia and North Carolina and then moved to Kentucky and Tennessee and then kept moving west to places like Little Dixie in, in Northeast Missouri, uh, places like the Boot Heel and, and a lot of South Southeast Missouri. And they brought the same Democratic tendencies that they had taken into the Civil War with them. And they that lasted for a century after the Civil War. And it continued in those parts of Missouri to elect, you know, moderate, typically pro-life, pro-gun Democrats uh, in those parts of the state who were populist on economics, but generally, you know, centrist to conservative on social issues. But when we did term limits, uh, which were passed in 91 and then went into effect, I believe, in 2000, then those good old boys that had been known in their communities trusted as not being like liberal national Democrats, but being good old Missouri, good old boy Missouri Democrats, uh, they were forced out of office. And in their place, we ran a crop of younger people who didn't have that same level of trust in their communities. Captain Hannaway, Rod Jetton, smart political strategists in the early two, late 90s and early 2000s, they drove the wedges in between Missouri Democrats and national Democrats. And ran against our party as, you know, liberal national Democrats. And since we didn't have those trusted, you know, mostly, you know, older, middle-aged to older Democrats who were known to be pro-life and pro-gun in those communities, we lost most of those seats. After we lost those seats, then the Democratic Party began over the course of the 2000s and 2010s to be seen as the more progressive party, you know, mostly represented by people in St. Louis and Kansas City looking more like the li- more liberal National Democratic Party. And that's the state of play that we find ourselves in today, where it's hard for us to regain our distinct identity uh, separate from the more progressive National Democratic Party because most of those, you know, mid-Missouri, southeast Missouri, northeast Missouri Democrats are no longer in office carrying this democratic mantle all right well that's a nice history lesson talk to us about next year's race i'm just saying you know i, I feel sense, like i, I feel like a little condescension in your tone well there, it's right? not so much condescension as it seemed like a pretty straightforward question do the democrats have a chance next year statewide <laughs> and it feels so, like there's a lot of conversation about what happened 40 years ago the next thing you know we're gonna start talking about reparations Let's just talk about next year. Yes or no, can a Democrat win statewide? Okay, I'm sorry to have lapsed back into my former profession as an academic for five minutes there, but um, I wouldn't put money on a a Democratic statewide candidate next year. I think 
uh, all the Democratic candidates running statewide have seriously uphill battles. It's not to say that they can't win. There are circumstances in which they could, but you got to put your money on Republicans for every statewide race because in 2020, I think Republicans won uh, every race by anywhere from 15 to 25 points. So, you know, no races have even been within single digits uh, for years now. And I do. I also think it's interesting. You know, we talk about term limits, the the, the length of time it's been since the Democrats were in charge. And as, we, as you discussed um, in, in, you know, sort of your conversation is the Democrats who won statewide, mostly rural. They were a lot of them were pretty moderate. And now it seems like the front runners for the Democrats are all hewing pretty far left. They're all from the urban core. And ironically, they're 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 calling out the the single highest vote getter of the last cycle as who they want to face this year in Jay Ashcroft. I get sort of their their idea that maybe philosophically they contrast better, but it seems like they're running the opposite type of campaign they would have wanted to run a decade ago or two decades ago when they actually had a shot at winning. Who are they calling out? Jay Ashcroft, and and he was the top vote getter in the last. Right, 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 right. He sort of has become the focal point for them. Yeah, so I mean, here's let me give you my. Now let's, uh, as they say in uh, rural Missouri, let's get that. I think that our best chance in a statewide in a U.S. Senate race is for Hawley to be somehow. to the way that is even more tangible than the fist pump image uh, that we've all seen. Let's say for phone calls between Mark Meadows and Josh Hawley the night before, that Mark Meadows, who apparently is cooperating uh, with the um, with special counsel Jack Smith's investigation, maybe there is testimony from Mark we do you know, that the Proud Boys were mobilizing, knew that this could get violent. You know, just something that uh, is even goes even further than what we already know, um, where Holly, his objection, you know, helped lead to, to the nightmare of January 6th. So that, you know, Lucas Kuntz is, you know, um, the, certainly the fundraising frontrunner on the Democratic side. There's State Senator Carla May, uh, who's about to jump in the race. There's a St. Louis County prosecutor, Wesley Bell, who's just jumped in the race a few weeks ago. Cooch has a couple million dollar fundraising lead, though. And I think it's going to be very difficult for either the other two, especially since they have a very similar base uh, in, in St. Louis, to be able to c- compete statewide because I think they may end up cannibalizing each other's bases. So I think you're going to see Cooch. Um, I think he needs to come out strong against Holly and say, this guy is a freaking coward who instigated, you know, this wannabe insurrection and then ran away, you know, at the first sight of, of people in the building. He needs to come out of hard. Coots has a military background and is uniquely positioned to be able to, to kind of call Holly out on that. But it's still very much an uphill battle. And if I had to bet it today, I think Josh Holly, you know, is probably going to win again. Uh, talk about the governor's primary. Uh, and, Chris- and I'll just say one more thing about the Senate primary before we go to the governor's primary. Uh, the one thing that Coots or any Democratic nominee does have going for them is that that image of Josh Hawley and his the role that he likes to play as the bet noir of, of 
uh, Democrats everywhere, has made him a national target so that there's probably, you know, 10, 15 million dollars of national low dollar Democratic money that will come into Missouri uh, next fall if the race, if Coons can get the race within single digits. So he won't have to rely just on Missouri money. Hawley's presence in the race will nationalize it. Uh, from I, a progressive fundraising standpoint. Before we, before we, I, I, from a fundraising perspective, yes, but I think we saw the same situation play out in South Carolina and Texas and, uh, Kentucky. And you have these s- sort of national Democrats getting all of these, these people from around the country to send them money, raising 20, 30, 40 million dollars. And still losing by double digits, sometimes 20 points. I'm not convinced that's not going to replicate itself in Missouri. I think the person that runs against Josh is going to run ads all over the country and they're going to sign up a million volunteer or million donors. And, and the problem is I just don't think the national, the, the, the Democratic candidate against Josh Hawley, unless they turn out to be a very moderate old school blue dog Democrat, which Lucas is not campaigning as. I don't see a path where they close it to less than double digits. Well, Lucas has a unique populist message, very hard-edged message, anti-corporate, uh, anti-monopoly, you know, monopoly, and no one's really tried that message yet. It's not the standard Democratic message, um, and so we'll see if it can, you know, what we really need to do. We can't win as Democrats if we're getting 26% you know, in Stone County and Barry County and McDonald County and, you know, throughout rural Missouri. There's 85 counties, you know, where we've been getting absolutely crushed, you know, out of, I think, 114. We, that cannot continue for it to be competitive. So Lucas's military background and his, you know, again, very kind of strong populist message, if that can get us from 27 to 37 on average in those counties, then we got a shot. I think that's that's pretty. Uh, I, I always say I'm an optimist. That to me sounds extraordinarily optimistic. Uh, talk us talk to talk us to us about the governor's primary. So, just two Springfield folks. Uh, been a long time since it's been two Southwest Missouri folks competing in a in a high level Democratic primary. So, looks like Sam Hamra is going to get in. Uh, just is quick, what quick, I'm hearing. Quick, quick clarification: It's my camera. Sam's the dad. My Mike's the son. My, my, my camera, I'm sorry, uh, is going to get in. I think, uh, you know, you, you know him and uh, uh, believe he's uh, acquainted with, with uh, uh, What the Hill host, uh, Joel Cannon, uh, as well. And I, you know, I know his um, family has some means. Uh, I'm not sure the extent to which he's capable of self-funding. Um, Crystal Quaid, the State House Minority Leader, is the, I think, frontrunner for the Democratic nomination for governor. Um, you just saw her roll out on Sunday and Monday and uh, her new, you know, bio video. And she, as you said, is definitely calling out Jay Ashcroft as being, you know, extreme uh, in some of his views, which, you know, he does have some extremely conservative views on, uh, you know, abortion rights and, and, and some other issues. So, you know, as I said, it's an uphill battle. Um, Crystal has a record as, you know, a progressive being the House minority leader and, and a lot of votes that, um, you know, I'm not sure how they'll play in, in, in a statewide race, but Ashcroft has some positions that are going to be out of the mainstream in a statewide race, too. You know, he's for, uh, you know, he's, he's strongly pro-life and, and 
you know, no exceptions in, in any cases. And, you know, I'm, we'll see if, if, if Missouri is that far uh, to the right on that issue. I think most people are kind of in the middle on that issue. I don't you know, think most people want, but I want think to see abortion. I, I think this is the, the, the point that you and I agree with is that there, I would say Missouri by and large is a pro-life state. Um, they, they, you know, we'll see what happens with the referendum next year, but in a battle between somebody who is pro-life without exception and somebody who is pro-abortion without exception, I think the state is much more likely to end up on the pro-life without exception side. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think uh, it's unfortunate that the debate is between the polls, you know, the extremes, because I think probably, you know, 70% of Missourians are not pro-life without exceptions, and they're also not, uh, you know, uh, pro-reproductive freedom up through the, you know, eighth month, which, you know, exceptions, abortions in the third trimester are extraordinarily rare. It's like, something like 1% of all abortions or even less. Uh, it, but the fact is, people campaign against the other side using the extremes. And the, I, I agree with you that generally speaking, if, if forced to choose between those two extremes, Missouri is a center-right state you know, on the issue. Um, I think the, the sweet spot is probably someone who says, look, you know, I support reproductive freedom in the first trimester. And... Uh, you know, maybe a little longer than that. And if there's an initiative petition that goes on the ballot that is 12 weeks or 15 weeks or wherever it is, then that's going to actually complicate uh, Jay Ashcroft's candidacy more than it would complicate Crystal Clay's. All right. Uh, as we do every day, finishing up with our question of the day. Garrett, you want to do the honors? I will do the honors. Hey, Jeff Smith, good to talk to you on air. This feels weird and different. <laughs> Garrett generally doesn't talk to Democrats on the air. Gar- yes, discrimination is my is my favorite thing to use on air. Uh, no, Jeff, um, I usually don't get to talk during interviews because of Elijah's ego. But I wanted to ask you, uh, what is the longest airplane ride you have ever taken, and what did you what did you do to cope with that long journey? Oh wow, is this really your question for everybody? Um, yes. I mean, I may need another 20 minute segment. My longest airline <laughs> ride I've ever taken was to New Zealand and I didn't know it at the time. It took me a month, uh, of traveling together, uh, at, at times to figure it out. But I was actually talking to Sarah Gore, Al Gore's, uh, daughter, um, who was, uh, who I was sitting next to, uh, all the way to New Zealand. It was something like a you know, 12 or 13 hour uh, flight. So, well, that's a very convenient, that's a very convenient truth for you, sir. (laughs) Touche. Touche. (laughs) Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. As we uh, always ask, if anybody wants to follow along with your biting political analysis um, and, or just generally ask you for advice and not pay you, how do they follow you on social media? (laughs) They can, um, Follow me on Twitter. It's probably the best place to get me. I haven't migrated over fully to threads yet. I actually saw something today that th- interest in threads is down about 80% uh, in the last week. It seems like it had that initial bump, and now it, you, you can watch as it just sort of descends. Wow. That's, that interest is down almost as much as interest in Ron DeSantis. Um, but uh, I, if you want to find me on Twitter... 
um, which you're going to have to try for my cold, dead hands, you know, my Twitter account, just go to at Jeff Smith Mo, uh, at Jeff Smith M-O. Jeff, so, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate it. Always fun, Elijah. Take uh, care. We'll be right back. We'll answer the question of the day. Stick around for that. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns who's there for 